0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the word and proclaim His gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Meal 2, Sin. Some of God's first words in the Bible are an invitation to humans to eat. And the first conflict is over a forbidden treat. And it's that meal that we get to study in more depth today. You've joined us for session two of the Gospel in Four Meals. And we said that the gospel in a headline is that God has saved us from sin through Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And it's that word sin that we get to look at in more detail. I think more than ever, we all have our own ideas and what sin is. So I know it's hard, but I reckon if you can, try and hear what I say on its own and don't place what I'm saying through your own current existing mental maps of what you've come to understand the concept to be. Uh, each session, I said that I'd tell you a little bit more about my own faith journey and then move to look at what the Bible has to say about this significant part in its story. I said last week that I didn't really grow up going to church and I wasn't a Christian. Uh, in fact, I didn't grow up going to church because what I was doing with my life is trying to become a professional golfer. Uh, I devoted my life throughout high school to that end, of wanting to be the next Asian Tiger Woods. You know, and I tried pretty hard and I kind of got somewhere. Uh, I went to golf courses before I got up, uh, before the sun was up. I, I came home from golf courses when the sun was dark. I really tried my best to do as much as I can to achieve that dream of becoming a professional golfer. Now, I was a good moral citizen. I didn't break any laws. I didn't get many fines. If any, I always made my teachers at school. So I never did anything wrong, but according to the Bible and its definition of sin, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner because I pursued, I loved, my purpose, my goal, my aim, my glory was golf, not the creator God who made me and whose image is stamped on me. Fast forward a few years and I'm a social worker working with families and children at great risk. And as I see uh, horrible family situations who've gone through generations and generations of mistakes and turmoil, I realise that my conception of the world has to be bigger than what I had. I need something that can look at each of these family situations and say they are they are they're personally responsible and yet at the same time also account that they're, they're they're victims. Victims of the generations who were before them. I needed something that could hold up those two intention that both said, hey, they you're individually responsible and yet you're a victim of your circumstances at the same time and account for things that are truly evil in this world. And for me, the only thing which could hold those concepts in its hand were the Christian doctrine of sin. Part one, Christianity, a story about how the world is. Most of us, I think, have a deep sense that something is not right in this world. Most of us know that there are things wrong with other people most of us know, perhaps even more so, that there are things wrong with ourselves. And when we look into the world, we see that it's not in the way that it ought to be. But the problem is that we're often looking to place that guilt and blame at somebody's feet. And we often assign our opposites the fault. So if we're on the left wing of politics, we think the right wing is the enemy. If we're on the right wing of politics, we think the left is the enemy. If we're into renewables, oil and gas is the enemy. If we're oil and gas, then renewables are the enemy. Jean-Paul Sartre, the atheist philosopher, says that humanity is a race to whom something happened. That's a famous and, and often interesting comment made by a leading atheist. Humanity is a race to whom something happened. And for the most part, we are always trying to figure out what exactly happened. And the Christian's answer to that starts in God's idyllic creation with a talking snake and a forbidden fruit. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The implication of the serpent's suggestion is clear. Did God really say that? Is that the way that this works around here? At first, the humans led by Eve put up a gallant and strong defence. No, he said that we could eat from any tree in the garden, just not that tree in the middle of the garden. But the serpent replies, you shall not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Her defences lowered. The snake had won. She took that fruit, ate it, and Adam ate it too. Part two, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's all going on here? an idyllic creation, a talking snake, a magical fruit. How do we make sense of how a single fruit undid the entirety of creation? And while uh, theft and temptation and human nature are all in play here, uh, the key to making sense of the narrative, I think, is the name of the tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice that it's not an apple tree, Uh, There's only one fruit mentioned in the first few chapters of Genesis, and that's a fig tree. Uh, It's not a tree of sexual desire. It's not a tree of pride. uh, It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the clue. It changes somehow our relationship to and our experience of good and evil. Uh, So what could it mean? Well, there are three uh, answers that have been traditionally given throughout Christian history. Uh, The first is, is that it's the knowledge of good and evil, so that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they now became aware of what was good and what was evil. Now, that doesn't seem a strong case to me, uh, because by already knowing they shouldn't eat it, they already had some idea of what they should do, that is the good, and the things they shouldn't do, that is the evil. So it doesn't really make sense for me that it's knowledge of what is good and what is evil. And the second suggestion has been that, that they now experience good and evil. That is, by taking the fruit, they now experience good and they experience, more importantly, evil. But that also doesn't quite fit uh, with what the Bible says. Uh, in Later on in chapter 3, verse 22, uh, God says, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. So somehow... Man has become like God, but God himself doesn't experience doing evil. So I don't think it could be that. The third option is becoming arbiters of good and evil. So here's a puzzle. What can be right for God, but wrong for us? It is not the knowledge of good and evil. It's not the experience of good and evil. Rather, it's the arbiters of good and evil. Rather, it is taking on the role of arbiter and deciding what is good and what is evil. In being image bearers, we are meant to be like God, but in eating the fruit, we seek to be God. And I think that's what's going on here. I mean, the tree could have been any tree. It could have been an apple tree. It could have been a banana tree. It could have been a durian tree. But what made this tree unique was that God said, you will not eat of this tree. The key is in what Eve saw in chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, in the fruit she saw wisdom, the ability to live and rule this world. That is what she saw in the fruit and why they ate it. It was the appeal of becoming arbiters of good and evil. So instead of living under God and with God, they decided in that moment to live apart from God and on their own. At the heart of eating the fruit was a declaration of autonomy. Not under God, but apart from Him. Instead of living with God and under God, They decided to live apart from, and separate to, the God whose image is stamped on them. Part three, rebellion and its consequences. They who were once open and safe around one another have now changed and hidden from one another. Chapter three, verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first result is that they're alienated from one another. They who were once open to one another, who cherish one another and embrace one another, now are sewing fig leaf coverings for themselves to hide and be separate from each other. Adam starts to blame God and Eve, although he was standing there sheepishly and courageously there the whole time. He says to God, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Already they've started to throw one another under the bus. There's mistrust. They've been alienated from one another. The second result is that they've been alienated from God. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." I think that verse is some of the most beautiful and and tragic verses of the Bible. Beautiful because it's like the Creator God had always scheduled in a midday stroll with His Vice Regents as an update on the current affairs of how the creation was going. And yet it's tragic. Tragic because those who once walked with God in the call cool of the day have now hidden away from him in separation to him who are now scared to be vulnerable with him. Those who were once vice chancellors, vice regents, governors general, were no longer there but His Third, They have alienation from creation. Verse 24, he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. For Adam and Eve thereafter, they were separated from that idyllic creation and work, working the land, became difficult, hard and unproductive. And four, death enters. Death, according to the Bible, is not something natural or something to be inspected, but it's in an alien invasion into God's world. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground that he was taken from. Jean-Paul Sartre said humanity is a race to whom something happened. And that something happened, according to the Bible, is that we, instead of living under and with God, decided to live apart from and estranged from him. We who went to lead the rest of the creation in praise and worship of God, a life of bringing order out of chaos and a life of openness towards each other, a world in which we would live in the cool of the day with our Creator. But now, alienated from each other, from God and this creation, we are both victims of the world and its chaos and perpetrators the very same thing. We all pursue things that are good and great, but it's not the God whose image is stamped upon us, whose love we're always meant to rest in, and whose glory we would praise and worship without anything between us it's kind of like the meal that we would be sharing right now. Uh, Meal two we often share in that great meal of KFC. Uh, KFC, I reckon no other meal looks better. Oily chicken, deep fried, 11 secret herbs and spices just glide it all on top and put in a deep fryer. When that arrives in front of me I can't wait. It, It looks so good doesn't it? When we're doing this not so long ago someone actually said you know KFC scientifically proven to have the quickest and sharpest uh, drop-off between satisfaction and dissatisfaction. KFC looks great at the beginning, but always turns out to be not the thing we bargained for. And that's kind of like sin. Sin is good, and it looks great, but it's not what we were made for. And so it ends up being something we didn't bargain for. Instead of living our lives under God and with him, we pursued something apart from and separate to God. That's the definition of sin. We are fallen monarchs with amnesia. We have a memory of what we once were, and yet we constantly forget. Humanity is a race to whom something happened, says the atheist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. And the Bible's answer to the something that happened is that as fallen monarchs with amnesia, we decided instead of living life with and under God, we decided to pursue something apart from and separate to the God whose image is stamped on us. In the seminal uh, 1966 surf film called An Endless Summer, uh, it tracks the stories of two Californian surfers in the search of the perfect wave. And they visit all different places around the world, America, Brazil, Australia, in search of the greatest wave. At the end of the the film, the credits roll. Uh, What are credits? Uh, Credits are where they give thanks to the people who contributed to this film. So they give thanks to the directors, to the producers, to the film editors, to the videos, uh, to the music editors, to the grip holders. And yet there's one more credit that scrolls at the end. And it says, thanks to old King Neptune for providing the wind and the waves. Now that's beautiful and yet tragic at the same time. Beautiful, I think, because they realise that the very best thing about this film, the thing which they did not create, the wind and the waves and the earth and the ocean, they know that that ought to be given thanks for, to someone or to something. And yet it's tragic. Tragic because they're giving thanks to a God whom they do not really know if he exists, and even if He does exist, exists within this creation instead of being the creator God over all things. Our knowledge of God has not so much been abandoned as it has been suppressed. and. You can't keep a balloon underwater for long enough to know that it occasionally just appears in random places. Like the end of a 1966 surf film. The atheist, nihilist philosopher David Foster Wallace said, We're all made to worship something. The only thing that we get to choose is what we worship. The Christian account of what has happened to this world is that we have chosen to worship and pursue things that are good and great but apart from and separate to our creator. And so in the process both ruining our lives and this world in the process. And so not only are we victims of the state of this world we are perpetrators of that exact same thing that Adam and Eve did. We choose the good and the great instead of our God, with a thing that we pursue and worship and give thanks to with our entire lives. We are a race to whom something happened. And for me, the only thing that does adequate justice to what I see in the world is that Christian doctrine of sin. Now, if that's the state of the world, the rest of the Bible is an answer on how God rescues us from that sin. But now, here's a take-home point. Sin is living apart from and separate to God and pursuing something else than him. We are both victims of sin and perpetrators of it. And the rest of the Bible is God's rescue mission through Jesus to save us from that sin.